Hello, I'm Rich Walker, and you're listening to Transit Lounge Radio at Login 2018. Hello, Rich. Have you been a radio presenter in a past life? That was magnificent. <laughs> Would you introduce our listeners to a little bit what you've been talking about just now on the stage at Login? Sure. So I'm from Shadow, and we're a robot technology company. We're best known for building hands for robots. And why would you want to do this? Well, when a human interacts with something in the world, we pick something up, we move it around, we use our hands. Our entire world is designed around what we can do with our hands. So if robots are going to do all sorts of things in the world, they're going to need hands that are quite like human hands. Fascinating. And I understand it's been quite a long journey to get the robot hands to be to have anything like the kind of nuance or sensitivity or range of movement that human hands have had. So we started building hands for robots in 1997. It's been, a, as you say, a long journey. The nice thing is that along the way, we've been able to let people doing research in robotics have that hardware, and that's primed a whole generation of research into how you get a robot hand to work, which we can now pick up and use to, to take out into the real world. Oh, nice. So you've kind of had a feedback loop from your experimentation and research going out to other researchers and then kind of coming back to you. So you were, you were talking a little bit about the difference between theory and practice. So you can come up with all these amazing ideas about how the hand might work. Do they need different designs for different kinds of movements or purposes? Like, are they primarily going to be robots that are robot hands that are doing like repetitive factory sort of work? Or what sort of range of things are these hands capable of? So the high-end dexterous robot hand that we built is pretty much the same capability as a human hand. It's not quite, it's not perfect, because there are things the human hand does that are just really, really hard to capture. We have bones that dislocate and relocate. As an engineer, you don't do that. So what we built is something that's as close as we can get it to, to the human hand, to give us a generality. But then, when you actually want to apply that to real-world tasks that you know, you say, well, okay, what do I actually need to do those real-world tasks? That might be a subset or something simpler or something different that's more capable. But you can start by saying, well, let's get the full robot hand to do the task, and now let's build the simpler thing that can do the task cost-effectively at scale. How do you see this being integrated into society? What kind of areas do you think that they will be useful? One of the nice things about working with the, the European research community is it's very focused on societal challenges. The grand challenge of sustainable development goals, the the, the missions that the European Commission is looking at for the, the next generation of research, trying to tackle real-world problems and saying broadly, let's see what could help for those. So we've been involved in the past in projects as diverse as looking at how do you pick strawberries right the way across to what's the right sort of robot to put in the home of an elder person who's suffering from cognitive impairments, dementia. And across those lines, there's always the same set of problems turn up. You need to be able to see things, you need to be able to reach out, you need to be able to grasp them, you need to be able to pick them up. If you're a farmer, you need to do that in the field, in the sunlight. If you're in the home, you need to do that safely around people and cope with dogs and cats on the floor. But the core technologies from our space are always the same across that. So what we've been developing is a suite of technology that if you want to take a robot and put it in the home to do cooking, our technology can fill one part of that jigsaw. There's a lot of it that we don't. And this is why we're big believers in open innovation and partnerships is because we aren't going to be the experts in everything. When we come to build a mobile robot to go in the home, we talk to our friends over there, they build the mobile robot. We talk to our friends over there, they put the vision on it. We talk to our friends over there, they make it use correct nursing protocols to do the job right. I think you were, you were originally interested in AI, yeah, but you decided to go more into the robot building. What, what prompted that? 
So I started out as a, a kid who programmed robots for fun and kind of designing AI software was like, yeah, I'll do that. And what I realized fairly quickly was that no one could tell what was going on because this was before the internet. This was before we had ways to get computers to do useful tasks remotely. So I found that people who were building robots were really interesting to talk to because what I did wasn't what they did. They tended to be good at making things and getting them to be capable, but not then of doing things with them. So I moved across from going, I want to write intelligence to I want to make machines work. Do you think the singularity is coming? If so, when? I think it's the author Charlie Stross who described the singularity as the rapture for nerds. It's one of those, like, and then we will transcend our bodies and become these amazing things. And it's like, yeah, that'd be interesting. I think what does happen constantly is that improvements in technology change the world completely and we don't notice because it doesn't happen instantaneously. Facebook changed the world in more ways than we know yet, but it wasn't a suddenly the world is different. It was like, oh yeah, actually, hang on. All those things that we were using, and they've changed our politics and they've changed our social interactions and they've changed the way we talk to people and we are different as a result. So I think what we will see is a series of points where everything has changed, but not in a kind of like suddenly there are artificial intelligences ruling the universe. So it's more like incremental shifts that sort of over time become like a, a larger sort of shift in consciousness, awareness, the way that we are in the world, yeah? Yeah, I think that's very much it. I mean, if you imagine taking someone from a thousand years ago and bringing them forward to today and putting them in the conference that we were in, if they'd been in a monastery, they'd be like, why aren't you singing hymns? Otherwise, this makes sense. And what are these little things you keep rubbing? Why are you rubbing all these little things? But human interaction, the need to eat, the need to drink, the need to talk, the need for sunlight, those things haven't really changed. And as long as we're this species, they won't. What will change is the tools and equipment that we have to do that. I mean, a self-driving car is just a clever horse. <laughs> That's great. And so what is your vision for the future and um, how do we get there? I'm the generation that grew up being promised the bleak cyberpunk dystopias and we already got there. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm slightly concerned about that. I mean, I think that from a technology point of view, we're going to see robots becoming more familiar, more common. We're going to see areas where robots will allow humans to stop doing repetitive tasks and go and do things that are more valuable. But I think as a society, there are shifts that we need to consider before that because the route that we're headed to from a, a structural economic social point of view looks bad. We have a concentration of capital, we have isolationism, we have closing of borders, we have a rise of something that basically looks like fascism again. These are not good times politically. And as technologists, I think we owe it to everybody else to at the very least say, we played a part in that and we need to look at the part we played in that and see, if what, see what we can do to correct it and to make sure that uh, the European Commission calls it responsible research and innovation. We actually think about what could be done wrongly and badly with the technologies that we develop. So, you, so you're actually building into the research process a con consideration concern of the ethical use and the social impact that technology will have in the future. Yes, I think it's really important to have that kind of ethical perspective on what you're doing. I'm actually really enjoying this event just because there's such a diverse collection of people here. I've talked to people from really, really different backgrounds and engagements. And I find that events like that are, are great because they stimulate you. You suddenly find yourself going, oh, wait, you, that and that. Oh, right. Why don't, 
And it's the making those connections, those sparks, is why I'm here and why I enjoy this. And I think, yeah, it's wonderful to do that in person. It really happens in a different way from sending an email to someone to when you can actually just have a chat with them and find out where they're coming from. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking thank to you. you. Thank you.